I would just say, you know, if you're structured, you're focused on that path, figure out what capabilities you need before you go ahead and pull the trigger and then start having conversations with your team around you. Hi, you're listening to Ready to Scale, the second season of That Really Happened. This season is focused on APS of real estate, asset, process, and strategy. Each guest on the show will reveal the assets they're investing and why they chose to do so. From multifamily to industrial, self-storage, mobile home parks, and more. Then, they'll uncover the processes, tools, and systems they've used to build multi-million dollar businesses. And finally, they'll uncover new, unique, and exciting strategies to invest in real estate. From co-working to buy and hold, fix and flips, co-living, and much, much more. Now let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to Ready to Scale. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host broadcasting from sunny California. When I'm not behind the mic, I buy multifamily properties with passive investors who partner with me on my deals. This month, I'm giving away the Thought Leadership Tracker which will help you establish yourself as a thought leader in the multifamily space. So this Excel will help you organize all the different activities and tasks. Everything you need to perform and will help you track everything you need to do. So this Excel will give you many ideas on how to establish yourself as a thought leader and help you stay on top of your game. So this month, I'm giving away the Thought Leadership Planning Guide and Tracker. This document is going to help you establish yourself as a thought leader in the multifamily space so you can raise capital for your deals. You can monitor and hold yourself accountable and build out your own thought leadership platform. You can find the document at www.elliperlman.com. Under the menu option, you need to go to free resources and you'll see the guide right there. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a minute to rate us and don't forget to like and follow along with me on social media as well. Well, my guest today is Sapan Talati. So Sapan is the Chief Strategy Officer at Enzo Multifamily. He has more than 10 years of experience in real estate. His multifamily experience includes over 400 million in acquisitions. And Sapan is also a guest lecturer at UCSD's Rady School of Business on strategy and innovation. He has an undergraduate degree in finance from Villanova University and an MBA from the Rady School of Business at UCSD. Today, Sapan joins us to speak about building an in-house property management team. Welcome to the show, Sapan. Thanks for having me, Ellie. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So if you don't mind, you know, sharing with me and the audience a little bit more about your background. Personally, I know you, you know, I've been knowing you for a few years now, um, but if you can share with everyone your background and how you started in real estate. Sure. appreciate that. Well, thanks for the warm intro. <laughs> so my background actually starts from management consulting. I had a lot of exposure to different facets of real estate, both from construction development to the lending side to some form of a portfolio management component of it, both uh, institutionally and public sector for actual cities. And from that type of exposure, I got to see a lot of opportunities as I'm going through my management consulting career, former career, where at some point it made sense for me to look into this doing it for myself, which is what I started doing 10 years ago or 10 plus years. Piecemealed my way into multifamily 
And here we are today where this is something that we just genuinely enjoy with passion. It's led to other business opportunities within multifamily. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I want to start a conversation about the, you know, on the asset, focus on the asset side of real estate. Your company basically focuses on multifamily and we've had, you know, more than one investor and a syndicator here on the show that invests in multifamily. I'm actually interested in hearing why you think multifamily is so unique and why you chose to focus on that asset class, you know, above any other, you know, asset classes out there? Sure. I think a lot of that has to do with where your passion and interests lie, because you can pick anywhere and, you know, over time perform well or focus on that, learn all you need to know about it. For me, particularly it was multifamily. Just happened to be one of the things I got exposed to earlier on. So I had a, a pretty strong knowledge base in there. So it was a natural fit for me. Other parts of that is I've dabbled into self-storage, assisted living. I've looked into it and the effort behind it is a little bit different than multifamily where multifamily just felt like a natural fit for me. Not talking about numbers, but I've also seen historically, because I'm a big data junkie, that it tends to have the best risk-adjusted return. And so in terms of where I particularly want my capital invested relative to my risk tolerance, this just made a lot of sense. Got it. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. I mean, also for me, it's something that I understand that I can relate to. And real estate is not an easy business. Doesn't matter how successful you are. If you're not passionate about what you do, then what's the point, right? It, there's so many other things you can do. If you're passionate about it, it looks like you absolutely do and you understand the product very well. I can testify that that's 100% true. So yes, it's you're absolutely right. You know, I want to talk about the strategy of starting an in-house property management team. It's something that you've done. And I know that, you know, many syndicators are thinking, you know, to do. And, you know, definitely usually you go and you you hire a third-party company. You pay them two and a half, three percent of your EGI, your effective uh, gross income. And... Mm -hmm. Usually it's something that most of us are outsourcing and you decided to start an in-house property management team. So why establish an in-house team or an in-house, you know, arm that is dedicated to property management? I think that starts with, you got to ask yourself, what's your model? There's large operators out there that don't have their own, they're not fully vertically integrated. It doesn't make sense for them. That's just not their model. There's large institutions, private equity groups, where they prefer to stay away from that altogether. And, and it comes back to what are you looking to achieve? What's your required rate of return? And how are you going to achieve that? For us, it was a function of, or there's multiple reasons, but the big function was where we were in the current market. And then the fact that we like to be a little bit more involved in the weeds and also we see a lot of opportunity in this space, particularly we find it to be highly antiquated with the current model and the way it operates that there is a lot of room for improvement. And thinking about deal flow, there's opportunity from the deal flow side as well. And so where I'm getting with that is if we're well entrenched on property management side, it deepens our network. It gives us opportunity to look at deals either off market 
or maybe we're managing in other groups and there's a potential to maybe look at working with them. Also, a lot of data, going back to Data Junkie, I'm getting access to a lot of real-time data in addition to the database that we're currently subscribed to, like your Yardies and CoStars and so on out there. We have a different perspective into it when I'm looking at our acquisition arm. I can take certain marketing expenses. I can understand a little bit better how to adjust that accordingly. We can look at our own ROI on the renovation side. And so we can, you know, some of the things we'll get into, or we have actual tools, we invest in technology that gives us the data that we can look at depending on where I'm sitting. If I'm an acquisition, I'm looking at that data differently. If I'm sitting in the asset management side, I'm looking at the same data through a different lens. As I'm an investor, I want to see that data a little bit different. And it's the same data. It's just a different perception, different, maybe a different ratio. So going back to your question, why we started, we're in it for the long run. It makes a lot of sense for us to invest into it. We're focusing purely on multifamily. We're not focusing on development at, the, at currently. We're not focusing on other areas in real estate. We're not looking at industrial self-storage and so on. And so there's, there was that component of it. And then going back to access to data, access to deals, and then also better returns in, in the form of quality assurance. But then the first thing I said was, where's your business model? We're not deep value-add players. We are you know, looking at mismanagement components today. We're looking at ancillary income and other forms of generating what we call tax-sheltered income. We like to find stabilized assets. And so for that, we needed a stronger team in terms of quality assurance, uh, visibility to the asset, and more access to real-time data as opposed to lagging where it could be a weak delay. Got it. And you mentioned earlier the ability to get access to data that otherwise, you know, you don't have access to if you outsource the property management function to a third-party company. Can you talk a little bit more about what type of, you know, what kind of data do you have access to now that you have your own property management team? Sure. So, I mean, you always have access to the data. It just depends on when you're getting it, timeliness of it. What I like a lot better is we have our own in-house data warehouse, which means now we can get real-time data at any given time, whether a lease was just recently signed, we can put together KPIs, different partners have different needs, different customized reports they want to look at, which allows us to all perform a lot better in our respective work streams. Data could be, let's just use renovation management. A lot of times you have a third party using a third party of their own in terms of a GC doing the renovation. You may not have the best access to the actual cost basis relative to your return on that investment. And sometimes it's lagging. Like you may be a month into a certain type of renovation cycle before you actually have true visibility to that. Whereas I wanted to have that upfront. So now when we're looking at other deals, particular area, or we're looking at the own asset, we can take a look at it and see if our ROI is there. So the return on it is not, hey, we were able to increase rent or we were up, up, have a higher uptick in the rent, but rather is that ROI you know, relative to our opportunity costs there, are we achieving that or not? And, and so that those are certain things for us that was very important as we're scaling. The 1% on 100 is a lot different than 1% mm-hmm. on 100 million. Yeah, absolutely. And it all sounds really great. And definitely, I understand the benefit of having an in-house property management team. But what are some of the drawbacks or the disadvantages of working in that structure? So, I mean, obviously, it's starting it. And when's the right time to start it? You have to have a certain number of units. That's also relative to your business model. If you have a thousand doors or 2000 doors, you're probably going to be upside down. It doesn't necessarily make sense or you're doing it, but you're living and breathing within the property management side and you may not have the experience. Now you're, you're kind of handcuffed. 
you want to grow, but you're working in the business, not working on your business. You may not have the experience where we've been fortunate enough to go out and bring individuals who've had decades of experience relative or specific to multifamily and they've excelled in that. And so, you know, for us, it was being able to bring in-house a lot of talented people that have a lot of experience from larger outfits, smaller outfits within geographic regions. So we're not basically saying, look, we're going to start a property management. We have no experience, but this is what we want to do. Let's have at it. But it's putting it together. Even today, I'm looking at when do we hit certain inflection points so we can bring other pieces of the property management in-house. Because you want to focus on your core competencies and not things that may not be your core competency. And now you're stuck having to manage those pieces. So I know those are some of the, I mean, there's, there's obviously a lot of pros and cons. You got to do your own cost benefit analysis. Again, it goes back to your model. If we were doing deeper value add at the acquisitions, it may not have made sense for us today. We may have actually waited a little bit longer. So it really goes back to how you're structured, what you're looking to achieve. And I would say definitely do a cost benefit analysis because there is a cost to it. Mm-hmm. And what do you mean when you say deeper value add versus light value add? Sure. So deeper value add in my definition of it is we're not looking at stabilized assets. We we may be, but we're definitely lowering the occupancy. It could be down into the eighties or I'm buying stuff that's just completely, you know, vacant, fifty percent occupied. Just something where there's gonna be a, a, a tremendous amount of capital expenditures into the units to bring it to market conditions. So that would be my focus. And something like that, typically you're not going in there and then expecting to hold it for the long term. You're going in there, creating the value, and then you're exiting. You may not need a property management company that is looking at it from the way we look at it, where we're in it for a long term. We want to focus on management and ancillary income. That wouldn't have made sense for us to switch into the full vertical today. I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I think it's great. It just wouldn't have made sense for us. Got it. Okay. And then let's talk a little bit about the process of establishing an in-house property management company or or arm. Can you Mm -hmm. walk me through the steps you took to establish your own in-house team? Yeah, so it's it's probably something that's always in the works from day one because you're you're feeling pain points. There's pain points from new relationships, and that new relationship could be a new property management company or the experience you have with them. It could be the regional that you're working with. Maybe the property management company is great, or it just could be any level of interaction. So you start understanding these pain points and are they solvable? Are there better ways to improve on that? And so you focus on working on that day to day. And as we were going through that, picking up different, I would say, forms of experience, improving on certain areas, we started getting to a point where we realized, you know, for our model, we needed to bring more in-house and wasn't because of poor performance by third party, but as more tied to actual opportunity costs that we saw. And because we're focusing on going back to the ancillary income, things that are a bit more time sensitive on the management component. And a lot of us have a lot of management consulting experience. We were better able to leverage our skill sets by bringing that in-house. So that's where I'm going back to cost-benefit analysis. It's not just a quantifiable piece, but it's also qualitative. And so do do you have in-house like your own skills that could be better applied? So for example, I spent a considerable amount of time with clients in the past on inventory management. And so what are we talking about here? Well, related to multifamily, if we're doing renovations or maintenance, we're able to introduce inventory management components. So how many nest thermostats do we buy? Where's your reorder point? Can we automate that? These are things most operators are not thinking about. I don't know if third-party property managers are really focused on that or not, but these are things that we haven't seen. We're able to 
invest money in technology to automate that. So we're freeing up time with the leasing team or maybe even the lead maintenance guy where they can spend that time on other areas of the business. And so that's just one example of how we're freeing up either labor hours or, or just human resource hours that can be applied to maybe resident engagement. I want to make sure my maintenance team showing up to work, their schedule's filled with where they need to be based on work orders. But I don't want to have different folks that are actually spending time scheduling that. It'd be great if it could already be automated. By the time I show up, it's already there. And now I'm focusing again on other areas of the business that may not have that attention. You know, we've got assets where we're focusing on self-serve. And so we've actually been able to reduce the number of folks in the leasing office and still had an improvement on the actual resident engagement. So we're saving money on pay, increasing resident satisfaction, and we get this type of feedback from surveys. And we do that continuously. So we're making sure that we're not only improving the experience, but also improving the management side, lowering costs, and we're able to operate at a much lower expense ratio than we've seen previously. So there are benefits, I would say, achieved. And then from there, it's, okay, where do we go from here? How can we continue to grow? Are there other areas we want to invest in? So that's how we're looking at it. Got it. And how much does it cost to establish an in-house property management team? I would say that's kind of a tough number to say because it depends on how you want to start. For us, we brought in a national operator that was previously in that same role. So we had a large six-figure salary out of the gates. We were upside down on it. We knew that because we wanted that individual to start building out certain processes, not focusing on the actual property management of our own units, but really start spending time, building out the processes, bringing in the relationships we need to bring in. So we went out and hired a few folks, actually, that most of their time, up to 80% of time, was spent on building the actual business, the processes, the procedures, and things related to that. In fact, we're still spending a lot of time investing in technology. So we're spending, we're looking at what are our requirements on that? What are nice to have wish lists? What are things we must have? And as we're doing that, we're actually, it's a cost to the business. It's not actually a profit center just yet in that way. Our assets are are performing much better, I would say. But going back to cost, it it just depends. You know, if you do it, so I say it depends. If you have, say, 5,000 doors, you may actually be at break even from day one. If you've got 3,000 doors, you may be spending some money. And you could be at break even at 3,000. I think it, it depends on who you bring in, your structure. Are you giving equity in, in lieu of, of compensation? Are you, you know, how, how is that structured? But I would say it's, it's definitely at least a six-figure investment into something like that. And then the things we have never talked about is you can't just start it and, and then expect your lender to approve you. So you've got to go through that whole process, have lender approval. Obviously, agency is a lot more difficult than someone that's not agency side. So it's maybe a little bit easier if you're going down the private side. But those are things that you know people don't really talk about. So it's like, how do I get approved? And what does that process look like? Yeah. And that's a very you know interesting and important tip to make sure that you are approved by the lenders, maybe have a conversation with them earlier to make sure that the way you structure it is going to be approved by them because you can't just change property management company after you took a loan. Everything has to go through the lender. And that's a great tip. And I want to ask you, what other tips do you have for syndicators and investors who want to start their own in-house property management group? Sure. So, I mean, if you've been in the business for a while, you're going to know what to do <laughs> to a large extent that you're feeling the point, pain point, and, and do I look into that? If you're somewhat new to the business, you've had a lot of success, I would say 
you know, continue with the third party. And the reason I say that is it's not a core competency of yours. And so until it becomes a core competency or you're ready to pull that trigger, you'll know when that trigger makes sense. You should start looking down that path. It's not as easy as I want to start this. I'm going to go, go out and hire some people and, and then have at it. You, it does take a considerable amount of hours. I mean, we spend, and we've got multiple partners and, you know, we're all spending at least 40 plus on our endo side. We're spending another 40 plus as it's related to property management. And, and I'm not the only one in our business. And so I, I would just say, you know, if you're structured, you're focused on that path, figure out what capabilities you need before you go ahead and pull the trigger and then start having conversations with your team around you. Yeah, absolutely. Talk to your lender. Would we qualify before you spend any time in there? If not, what do we need to do to qualify? And and sometimes that's a couple more years away or it could be right away. It, it may just depend on the experience. Maybe you have the experience and you're good to go. Great. You know, what's the next step from there? So it, depending on your experience, your your own portfolio, and also what you're looking to achieve, it may or may not make sense. Got it. And so basically your company, your in-house property management team is servicing basically your Enzo's properties, but also other other syndicators, other investors' properties. Is that right? That is right. So today we're just Enzo. We are actually about to launch on the public side to start managing other operators as well. And so, yeah, we haven't made that formal announcement, like formally, but informally we have started talking to folks. All right. All right. Perfect. Thank you so much, Sapan. That was very interesting. And now we have arrived to the last part of our interview, which is the lightning round questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Sapan, what's your favorite hobby? Favorite hobby? I would say spending, if it counts as a hobby, (laughs) building Legos with my little one. Ooh, building Legos. That's good. That's good. What's the, the one thing that people do not know about you? I would say that I grew up playing tennis three, about two to three hours a day. Not quite semi-pro, but I had a an undefeated track record in high school. Wow, I didn't know that. All right, I learned something new about you. What do you wish you had known when you started out? Man, probably a lot of things. Hindsight's <laughs> mm. twenty twenty, but I wish I knew more about real estate, or at least the opportunities presented to us from what I know today right out of college that would have been yeah i think an amazing amount of information to have and and start with yeah absolutely sometimes i meet 22 25 year old kids and they say i want to get into multifamily and i'm too young and i said no you're never too young you're not i wish (laughs) i was in that mindset you know when i was 22 years old all i could think of i want to become a you know, a big time lawyer and, and join a big firm and then run my own, you know, law firm, which, you know, got me so far. But uh, yeah, I was I was really not in that mindset. You think is when you're so young, you think you need a lot of money to buy real estate, mm-hmm. which is true to an extent, but you, you, you right. can get very creative. No, you're, you're so right. I mean, we didn't have access to this type of stuff when we were in college. I mean, it was pretty much, I want to go be an investment banker. I want to be a consultant or a doctor. No one talked about multifamily. No one really talked about real estate. And and now you're starting to see programs like that. I think it's neat, but it's not really quite there yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can totally agree. What's your number one advice to real estate investors who want to scale their business? If they're looking at scaling, depending on what stage you're at, I think 
you know, finding the right mentor because there's never a, a bad time to have one, whether you're experienced or not. It's just finding the right mentor that can help your business grow. All right. And lastly, Sapan, if someone wants to reach out to you, talk to you about investing or hiring your company to manage their assets, where can they find you? Either through you or they can email me at Sapan, S-A-P-A-N at EnzoBrands.com. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you. Well, I'm going to keep calling you Sapan, even though you call yourself Sapan. Yes, Sapan's the right way of saying it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's how I'm used to say it. Well, Sapan, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate your brain power and, you know, the value you brought to my listeners. And I definitely learned, you know, something new. So thank you so much for that. Thanks again for having me. It's a pleasure. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.